This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Ever since Hamas initiated its coordinated surprise offensive on Israel on 7th of October, there has been no lull in the barrage of information, photos and videos that have been coming out of the region. Now, while it is important for people to be aware of what's happening on the ground from various perspectives, the rapid spread and sharing of information um, means that it's become harder to distinguish what is accurate, what is fact and what isn't, and it's become a breeding ground for both mis- and disinformation. Um, surprisingly, on both social media and in some cases in mainstream media as well. So here to dive into why it's important for us to recognise mis- and disinformation and how we can all be better when it comes to sharing news um, as it is reported from on the ground is Munira Mustafa, Executive Director of Shasir Group. Thanks for joining me today, Munira. Uh, thank you for having me on the show again. I'm always happy to uh, speak to your audience. Mm. Now, today we're talking about uh, mis- and disinformation, particularly in the context of what's happening in, in, in Gaza and Israel. But um, perhaps you can start, off, start us off with the, an explainer on what is mis- and disinformation? How are they different? Okay, uh, this is my favorite bugbear, if you can call it that, because it drives me crazy when I see uh, articles, news articles calling something a misinformation when it's clearly a disinformation. So two things, um, or maybe one thing. The difference between misinformation and disinformation is the intent. So I'm just going to try break it down in a very uh, in a more easier form. Mm-hmm. So misinformation, you can you can figure it out from the um, from prefix, miss, which is a mistake. Mm-hmm. So think of the children's game, telephone. We used to play that as a child, right? So here's an example. You have a cousin. Uh, let's call him Ali. Mm-hmm. So Ali, your cousin, uh, tells you that, hey, cuz, guess what? I got a job with ISIS Malaysia. When he said ISIS Malaysia, obviously he means the think tank. But then uh, you you get excited and say, oh, wow, you know, congratulations. I have to tell my friends and what, what a great job. So you go on and tell your friends, hey, guess what? My, my cousin Ali joined ISIS Malaysia. Mm-hmm. But somehow the information gets confused when it got passed. And then people start saying, hey, you know what? Her cousin joined ISIS, the terrorist group. Mm. And it, yeah, it kind of escalated from there. You meant the think tank. But other people might misunderstood and think it's the, it's the terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. So there's a running joke that we always call the think tank the good ISIS. But yeah, that, that, is, <laughs> that is the mistake. Um, however, disinformation, the difference fr- from misinformation is that disinformation is the intent. It can be either political or financial. Mm-hmm. And it uh, can be attributed to the actor who wants to you know um, gain an advantage. So they so certain information it can be true but it is also peppered uh with with a lot of falsehoods so that's this information so they would do that for the for the purpose of either getting a political advantage or financial advantage um so if we look at its circumstances of in situations of warfare or when there are acts of terrorism how can mis and disinformation be used or even weaponized you know how have you seen it being used in the past as well so misinformation happens when people don't understand why certain events happen. So uh, you you want to learn about a an escalating situation, but the problem with that is that the information ecosystem has become so convoluted, and misinformation can arise from that. 
um, that can be addressed if we can identify identify it correctly as a misinformation. Mm-hmm. And we have to be very agile in um, by working around this. And this is why signposting information is very important. So that you need to uh, to to condition your audience to learn to recognize legitimate information versus misinformation. Mm-hmm. However, this information is where it gets a bit tricky because uh, because there are um, bad actors with very malicious intent mm-hmm. uh, trying to drive home a different kind of information that's been uh, you know that's been purposely injected with falsehoods. And they do this for various reasons. It could be to legitimize illegal military actions or political violence, and it could be for undermining violence or systemic, systemic discrimination, or it could be for uh, to undermine or discredit, discredit their political opponent, uh, more, um, more so to provoke an overreaction. Uh, more importantly, they also do this to mobilize support because in any conflict, you want the popular support to galvanize your, your, your approach. Without support, whatever you achieve won't be legitimate. So to mobilize this polarization, you have, uh, they always uh, cater this to create, a, to create an us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. So think about it as, uh, think of ideology as, the, as a marketing tool. You don't have to believe in the ideology, but you can use it to drive recruitment or your organization uh, revenue, for instance. And violence is the market driver. Hmm. So in the case of what's happening um, in Gaza and in Israel as well, you know, and all the information that we've seen come out from the region, there's been no shortage of reports, videos, um, photos. What types of mis- and disinformation have you seen spreading um, in the past week? The most common one I've seen is fish wrapping. Uh, fish wrapping is when you use um, an old news mm-hmm. and you wrap it up. You wrap it up as as uh, the latest news. So, uh, have you seen all those um, pictures of uh, of children being rescued from buildings mm-hmm. and then only to find out that they're actually not from the Palestine uh, destruction, but actually from Syria? Mm-hmm. So that's the most common and prevalent and most uh, pernicious kind of disinformation tactic. So they do this because they want to shock you. And when they shock you, your uh, resistance, your resilience uh, towards bad information becomes reduced and eroded, and it makes you more vulnerable to propaganda. Mm -hmm. This is why um, it's important to identify what you're seeing because obviously all conflicts are horrible, but it's also important to identify them correctly from which conflict, from which part of the world, because you don't want to to cause, uh, because the implication of harm is that you, you're you going to erase the suffering of certain community. So, I mean, we want to be able to be equal, uh, equal-handed uh, and measured, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, so in this case, when we talk about fish wrapping, the, the kind of examples that you've you've brought up, those would be disinformation, right? Because there is sort of intentional use to shock, like you said. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit unfair for the uh, for the victims of these uh, of the Syrian conflict as well, because it's like you're exploiting their grief, their mm-hmm. suffering. For you know, like like whatever these disinformation operators are doing, they're doing it for. To, to, to farm your likes, your, 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 your amplification, 
it's it's very malicious. I mean, what is the good intention out of misusing, misappropriating someone else's suffering mm. so that you can drive your own revenue? Mm. So in this case, who are the targets of this sort of disinformation tactics? Are we are we talking about people from within Israel and Palestine, for example, or are the targets actually the the global consumers of these media? Everyone is the audience of mm. disinformation. They basically they're targeting you so that they can get you to support whatever they can get out of you. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and it can be for a, 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 any gains. It could be political. Again, it, it's, as I mentioned earlier, it could be either political uh, gains or financial gains. Or they just want to be able to discredit uh, certain groups or certain individuals. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, what do you think is, is fueling the current spread of mis- and disinformation, especially with how rapidly things seem to be changing and happening on the ground, right? Because every day we hear of different reports. Um, what are the different factors that you've seen sort of fueling this rapid spread of both mis- and disinformation? From my point of view, I think it's because they want to be able to legitimize acts of brutality and violence and whitewash war crimes. So they put out this disinformation so that they can justify why one horrible action is completely acceptable when it shouldn't be acceptable. We have definitions uh, for, for war crimes. I mean, they're, they're structured for reasons. So we can, we can address it correctly. Um, uh, war crimes, regardless, is, should not ever be acceptable, mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm. And we have this, uh, the definition for, you know, um, it, the, the response to provocation has to be uh, equal. It has to be proportional. Who are the ones who are the main perpetrators of the disinformation that is happening, especially in across these different media platforms? Oh, there's so many. There are so, so many. Um, and the problem with that is that they can be politically linked as well. Mm-hmm. So, um there have been like I think the most famous account is uh, I'm trying a partisan girl. I think she's the one of the uh, many individuals online that has been taking advantage and exploiting uh, every conflict to try to drive uh, her own propaganda. So we call um, act- bad actors like this as propagandists. Um, and again, like uh, like I mentioned earlier, I mean the the motivation can be financial, it can be political, and um, the intent is to either discredit or for character assassination. Basically, the aim is to just justify brutality, uh, justify any actions that should that otherwise would be considered as illegal, mm-hmm. and they just want to um, whitewash, um, you know, whitewash war crimes. On the show with me today is Munira Mustafa, Executive Director of Shasir Group, talking to me about the rampant spread of mis- and disinformation on both social and mainstream media as the humanitarian crisis continues to unfold, um, especially in Gaza. We'll be right back after a quick break, so keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su-An. We are talking about the dangers of mis- and disinformation on both social and mainstream media today, particularly in the wake of the Israel-Hamas war and the worsening humanitarian crisis that is happening in the region um, as the violence continues, especially in Gaza. So joining me to discuss today's topic is Munira Mustafa, Executive Director of Shosio Group. Um, now, Munira, I want to talk about the role of social media platforms because we've seen news reports in, in recent days where the EU, for example, has called out um, platforms like X, Meta, um, TikTok as well. And X in particular, uh, or better known as Twitter for most of us, has been widely criticised for being a breeding ground for both mis- and disinformation, um, especially because of multiple changes that have been happening to the site since Elon Musk took over. Um, things like um, changes to um, the, the verifications, changes to news links not being very visible. And, and a lot of these tech companies have also had layoff of staff, um, which has affected to a certain extent the moderation, the moderation of content on the site. Um, what role do you see, Munira, um, these social media platforms playing in countering or even um, encouraging this sorts of um, mis- and disinformation? I'll give you an example of this conversation I had uh, on Twitter long, long ago. I think this was after GE15. And mm-hmm. I said something to the effect like, uh, this is why Malaysian politicians should signpost their Twitter accounts uh, properly mm-hmm. and not put anything that's not um, related to their uh, duties and responsibilities in the government. And mm-hmm. I remember people getting upset with me for saying, oh, they can't even put their uh, football affiliation. Mm-hmm. But this is precisely what I'm talking about because you need to uh, signpost your information so that we know where it's coming from, who's saying what. And... Elon Musk's uh, ex, uh, formerly known as Twitter, is a good example of what happens when you remove all the signposts. Mm-hmm. Because people are very reflexive as nature. When they see something very upsetting, they want to respond to that provocation. Mm-hmm. And the the implications from this, from, from Elon Musk removing all the necessary indicators of what we can identify is good as good information, has... Be, has um, polluted that information ecosystem. So, and this is the problem because when we have poor information hygiene, it makes it much harder to fix public attention on current confirmed documented evidence. And people get very confused uh, about what is happening. There's a fog of war, um, you know, and it's, this is also partly dangerous, especially when we uh, see what happened with, uh, President Joe Biden, mm. uh, you know, when he's uh, when he talked about those pictures of these beheaded babies, and it turns out that it was false. And when you do this, especially when someone in a position of power like Biden, as the president of the United States, when, when you you launch yourself into action, and it on very bad intelligence, on very bad information, it becomes very difficult to backtrack or reverse an action or policy. So this is why signposting is very important. Continuing on that example that you gave Munira, because uh, you know even the CNN had actually reported on on these reports of babies being beheaded before later it was um, reported to be untrue. Do you think what impact does that have on public trust in media authorities, in government authorities, when you know they themselves are reporting on things before they are verified? 
Yeah, that's a problem because when you make mistakes like this, this the most significant impact is that it would erode public trust in institutions. Mm. So um, I at, at a personal level, as an individual, you can afford the time, uh, the time lag to practice restraint mm-hmm. in sharing information. But for journalism, for instance, uh, I understand it's a completely different matter altogether because uh, for journalists and media companies, they have to piece together a story based on fragmented information uh, provided by witness accounts and documented evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think this is why a lot of media offices have now have started to create a line of fact checkers, uh, you know, to track uh, to track this information because this would help them to identify reliable and trusted sources. But when it becomes too fast, um, I think the only recommendation I, I, I could offer right now is, uh, you know, especially seeing that the biggest culprit right now is Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this because people keep saying TikTok is bad, mm-hmm. but I, I would argue like, you know, you have to quantify these allegations because because from what I'm seeing, Twitter is the big bad right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't presume to know how journalists operate, but I would assume that they, they should have at least a trusted source to collect their information from, and they should be able to, to, to verify and validate those sources. And um, me being a go- former government analyst and now working in the security in- industry, um, I can tell you it's no different for us too, because mm-hmm. we have to draw inferences from fragmented information to synthesize them into actionable intelligence. And this is why we have to use weighted judgments, estimate probabilities, and evaluate our confidence to ascertain and make sure that our sources, our methods are trusted and reliable. Mm. But from that perspective, right, with your experience, Munira, is it better for journalists to, I mean, I mean, which is more harmful, report first and then backtrack later or hold off and potentially not have that information reach the public, even if that later on is true? Um, I would think, again, like they have to be agile. Like mm-hmm. by now, I'm sure that every media house is aware of the consequences of amplifying this information and they need to be more assertive in pushing back certain malicious actors. I mean, uh, they should be allowed to, I mean, sure, you you cannot make the argument that they can platform, Mm -hmm. but don't regurgitate. Mm -hmm. So it's important to have this um, mechanism. When you hear something provocative or false, I think journalists should try and push back and, you know, cross-examine that source, especially on, on a hot mic. So, I mean, I understand it, it's, it, they have to work fast. I mean, so this is uh, aside from, from, from interviewing uh, people live, but when you want to push uh, news reports, again, I think the responsibility is to make sure that your source uh, is, you know, trustworthy, uh, verified and reliable. Mm. All right. Um, I guess to play a bit of a devil's advocate, Munira, do you think that there is a problem when it comes to media literacy among the public as well, that you know it shouldn't all be in the hands of media organisations and social media platforms to sort of filter what is um, right and, and false? Um, so, yeah, that's a good question because I'm thinking about Arab Spring uh, you know, and the whole concept of citizen journalism because mm-hmm. uh, back when Twitter was good, 
uh, Twitter was a very important vehicle for a lot of the uprisings, uh, you know, against tyrannical uh, authoritarian government. Mm. It was instrumental in assisting, facilitating um, movements like Black Lives uh, Matter. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's been very good for a community like that. Mm -hmm. But again, like the, uh, this is a, a task, a, a question of being trustworthy. So I don't see how is it helpful for anyone to amplify a falsehoods unless you are gaining from that falsehood itself. So, so again, this is about, about the intent. Uh, if you're doing it for the community good, public good, uh, I'm sure that you would make a lot of effort to make sure that you will remain accountable for what you're saying, for what, what you're doing, what you're pushing, the content that you're putting out there. But if your intent is malicious, uh, this boils down to your motivation. What are you doing this for? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about impact as well, right? Because we talk about why people spread disinformation. What impact does disinformation have? Why is it particularly dangerous in the current context of what's happening in both Israel and Gaza when tensions are really so high, not just in the region, but globally as well? What impact does the disinformation have? Um, and I want to bring in especially feelings of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, both of that are very high in different societies right now. Um, you know, anti-Semitism in particular when it comes to, when we talk about Malaysian public, right? Is there a link between the spread of disinformation and how it fuels hatred in, in the public? Um, yes, in a way. Public support is very important. I mentioned earlier something about you have to try win a conflict or, you know, uh, any rivalry and you need support, 100% support behind you. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to make much gain if no one is going to legitimize you. That's, that's why right. support is important. And that's why public perception, uh, that that is why um, influencing public sentiment mm. is crucial to a lot of disinformation actors. Um, so disinformation it leverages and exploits our confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. And this is a very distinct vulnerability because, because disinformation operators know that what to target and what to provoke. And I think, you know, like th that, that is why they're playing up to the anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And you're seeing, uh, you know, at uh, these sentiments at an all time high. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think one example I can bring on is that the Myanmar genocide, for mm -hmm. instance. If you're aware of what happened, what led to the genocide was that Facebook was amplifying, uh, you know, disinformation about Rohingya, mm -hmm. and it kind of escalated tension and hatred. And basically, the public's uh, opinion of Rohingya people was so negative that it basically uh, it, we have a we have a term for this it manufactured consent mm -hmm. so there was uh, to to the uh, you know it reached to that boiling point where no one was going to push back against the myanmar military action against the rohingya that's what led to genocide basically people kind of you know they legitimized the violence mm -hmm. they, they've consented to it and that's a that's a danger of disinformation you've i'm sure you've heard of the adage repeat a big lie often enough and it becomes the truth. Mm. And th what's interesting is that the original description of the big lie um, is attributed to Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf mm. to, de to discredit the Jews. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, and, and I guess that's why it's so difficult to rein it in, right? Once the mis- once the disinformation is repeated again and again, even if it's later proven to be false, it's it people already believe in the information that was spread in the first place. Yeah, that's right. And you know what's worse about it? The outcome is that you risk erasure, you diminish actual experiences, mm. and most tragically, you cannot bring back the date. Mm. Mm. You risk de- dehumanizing people as well, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Mm. So, what do you think we can do then? You know, at, at times like this, when with the with the conflict still unfolding, with concerns over the humanitarian crisis, the violence that is happening, um, how can we? Uh, Let's look at different actors that can play a role in addressing mis- and disinformation, right? What would you like to see? Okay, so um, at an individual level, as a single individual person, mm-hmm. I would recommend exercising your stream. If you uh, see a bad content, don't amplify it. I know it's very, very tempting to 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 go shock and awe, but that's exactly what they're counting on. So... Um, I've not been on Twitter much ever since it turned into this vortex of disinformation because mm-hmm. I that's not um, practical or useful for me. I try to hang back and you know keep an eye on what's flowing. Mm-hmm. However, uh, for media organizations and journalists, um, again, the recommendation is if you if you don't have one, please try create a dedicated team to track and identify falsehoods because that would help facilitate your publication of your news um that that's one step for social media platforms um so x uh in my opinion i i don't know what's going to happen i'm mm-hmm. assuming that we can expect or anticipate a probable congressional hearing uh, of them at some point but basically uh you know this is why it's important for them to abide by regulations of local laws and international laws mm-hmm. um and at the government level this is going to be a slippery slope because mm-hmm. um, you know uh, because there's the um, impulse to to introduce and misuse censorship, and this is That's why right. I think when we want to approach uh, you know uh, on actions to address uh, disinformation, I think at government level they have to policymakers have to engage grassroots democratic constituents, CSOs, and human rights legal experts to ensure that whatever policies that we introduce will not violate individual liberty. And I think this uh, one example we had was the fake news law we Mm -hmm. had a few years ago, and that was repealed because it was a disaster. So Mm -hmm. we do not want to repeat that mistake. And my recommendation for that is this is why we need to apply evidence-based approaches and correct expertise. So don't just have people who claim that, oh, you know, I have like uh, experience in, 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 in strategic communication. It seems like everyone's claiming expertise, mm-hmm. but they're not really show, having a show for it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we need to, to be more uh, demanding in, in you know, like asking for, for evidence-based approaches because a correct informed response is the way to go from here. Otherwise, we're just going to keep perpetuating this cycle of, of, of you know, falsehoods, of this cycle of, of, of lies and disinformation. Hmm. Are there countries, Munira, that have done this well of, of regulating false information? Um, probably. I mean, I can 
think of some, but I, it's still a learning experience for mm-hmm. all countries. I mean, uh, people are talking about Singapore's new law, mm-hmm. but um, however, I, I have some reservations of it. I, I've looked at, at Singapore's poker law uh, often. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have some good template, but I also understand why people are ambivalent about it because, mm-hmm. again, this is about the personal liberty and freedom. Um, I can't say for sure if any country has done it right, but we could try looking at some, I don't know, Scandinavian um, cases maybe. But it, the, the, the problem is that is we can't say for sure if anyone's done correctly until a flashpoint happens to, to, to merit that litmus test mm. to, to, to see if what if their approach is correct one or not so as we as we see now the changes that Elon Musk has done to X has shown us what a disaster are all his policies have been mm-hmm. so in i i feel like if we can uh, you know uh initiate a unified response to X uh you know like and push back on on the the policy changes I, I, but the, the problem is that I don't know how because people, mm. we already have a lot of bad actors buying the blue check mm, and there's right. no way of knowing who's, uh, you know, uh, if, if they're re- reliable. Because when you look at the blue checks, a lot of them are very questionable and they're just doing it to farm your likes and your outreach. So uh, my recommendation right now is either not use X or, you know, like... Just try use other social media platforms. I mean, there are so many other options mm. now. We don't have to rely on this one platform. Mm. And I guess to wrap up, uh, Munira, to, to go back a bit to you were talking about what we can do as individuals to not automatically and reflexively sort of share all these things that are shocking, right? But I mean, at the same time, we also want to, you also want to bear witness. You also want to make sure that people are aware of what's happening. What are some simple do's and don'ts when it comes to sharing information that is coming out of a conflict like this? Uh, I do appreciate that people want to learn more. And I think it's important that they should learn more about what's happening uh, outside of Malaysia. Um, but you exercise caution in what you're amplifying. I mm-hmm. mean, like, apply judgment in evaluating the information that you see. I'll always ask yourself, where is this information coming from? Can I verify this? Is it valid? Who is saying it and consider why they're saying it. If you're not sure, you always have the option to just hit the pause button. You, you can just disengage and then come back to it and reevaluate. You don't have to do it. If you're if you're not if you're not part of the of a media organization, if you're not uh you know, if you're not an analyst trying to cater to your stakeholders in, in, in you have to brief them the information. Um your stake of pushing this is not that high mm-hmm. unless you're directly involved. But, uh, you know, for, for the love of God, don't do it for the clicks. Mm. All yeah. right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Munira. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I've been speaking to Munira Mustafa, Executive Director of Shasir Group, about the dangers of mis- and disinformation, particularly in the wake of the Israel-Hamas war. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.